Theology Thursday Live. It's the cat edition. Say hello, Cope. Not in a talking mood. All right, so today we're doing grammatico historical interpretation. And I'm saying it's not as boring as it sounds, but yeah. Um, so why do we care about how to interpret the Bible? That should be self-evident. Um, but the words of the Bible matter. And so when um, Eve is talking to Satan in the garden and Satan says, did God really say? So on what was she supposed to base this? She had heard it. It wasn't written down, but she had heard it and she would memorized it. And she said, you know, he said, God said, you can eat from any tree of the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat nor shall you touch it. And um, Satan said, oh, so Satan, even though she properly interpreted the word of God, he doubted the veracity of it, the truthfulness of it. So that's another step. But the first thing is you have to rightly interpret it. She had the right interpretation. You're not supposed to do it. She just didn't believe it. And she sinned. So um, Jesus, um, tempted by Satan in the, in the desert, use scripture as well. Um, you can even say he was quoting himself to Satan. And so if we want to make sure that we know God's mind, God's will, God's thoughts in things, and we have to be able to um, not only know the word of God, but to properly interpret the word of God. So today what we're looking at tonight, this evening, what we're looking at is grammatico-historical interpretation. Moses, it's a weird way of spelling it, Moises Silva, in Intro to Biblical Hermeneutics, which I know you've all read. He says this, a method of understanding the meaning of Scripture through a detailed analysis that pays close attention to the language of the original text and the cultural context that gave rise to that text. All right, so what we're looking at is um, the words of Scripture. How do you interpret the words of Scripture? And what we're going to use as our analogy today, our acronym, is I want to do TLC, but I just couldn't figure out a thing for the L, so we're going to do TGC, um, the Gospel Coalition. They do not endorse my particular interpretation of this, nor do they not endorse it. Um, but TGC, so we're, talking, we're going to talk about time, grammatical rules, and cultural context. And I'm trying to keep this to a brief 12 minutes, so here we go. First one is time. Now, this is important because Jesus said this. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So it's important for us to know these words and the meaning of the words. So let's look at time. The um, importance of of biblical interpretation when you're reading words of scripture is what did the people, how did the people use the language? Okay. So how do I expect to be understood by my hearers? Um, it, so language changes over time. So when we're reading something that was written hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago and recorded, we have to say, okay, how were those words not understood today? Even though we're in a different language, you know, we could, we translate it. What word do you use? And we would use words that make sense to us today. But when we're using the original language and we're reading those words, we don't read those words and say, all right, how do we use those words today? You have to say, well, how were they used back then? Um, so I've written a few examples of this that we would use dial, court, wireless, and, um, and I put LOL too because I don't think lol. I think anybody would even know what that was um, way back in the day. But um, in the future, who knows? So dial. Um, a dial is a, a thing, you know, on the 
uh, watch. People you dial. You dial the phone. You dial a number. We still say that. Hey, did you dial that number yet? But you don't have a dial because phones used to have a dial. So we still say it, but we aren't actually using a dial. Court. Um, you used to court somebody. You you um, court your lady. Now we talk about dating somebody, but they used to to court somebody. And we have wireless. So if we talk about something being wireless today, back then we were talking about a radio. Radios were called. Uh, you know, I heard him on the wireless. Well, now we call that a radio. So there's a few examples. And a biblical example is um, in the Genesis 15 or just in the Old Testament, they would talk about um, making covenants. But literally what it would say is it would cut a covenant. So, you know, why would it be called cut a covenant? And the reason is they actually would um, cut an animal in two and the two parties making this covenant would would pass between the pieces and what they were saying is either of us breaks this covenant that's what's happening to us blood will be spilled by the person who breaks this covenant and so in the abrahamic covenant in genesis 15 um, god passes between the pieces abraham does not so god fulfills both parts of the covenant um, that he makes Abraham that he's going to make him a, a great nation and, and have many children. So the Abrahamic covenant of which Christians are inheritors of, um, God promises to keep that covenant or he will be undone. And he is undone on the cross. His blood is spilled on the cross fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant curses. And that's why in the new covenant, this is the new covenant in my blood. That's why we take communion. So um, it's knowing the background, the historical background of those words on the page help you to be able to interpret what those words mean. Okay. Um, G. So language changes over time. You have to be able to know what did the words mean back when they wrote them. That's important. The G is grammatical rules. Okay, so when you're studying the Bible, uh, and then we're talking about original language stuff, and you know we get it translated into English. But even when you're reading the English Bible, I get a text. Even when you're reading the English Bible, um, what you're doing is is you have to interpret those words. Not and, and what we're getting at. So you can interpret these words like, well, when I read these words, the Holy Spirit tells me this. It's like, well. You know, if you can't, if we don't have a ground rule on how to read the Bible, then anybody can read the Bible anyway and then just say, well, God makes me feel this way or and I think this. But even when Eve was in the garden and she was answering um, Satan, she was able to use um, the actual words of God. Jesus answered in the actual words of God. So even Jesus didn't say, well, I have this impression that God would not have me to do this. He quoted scripture. So we need to be able to quote scripture, but you had to be able to know how do you interpret those words. Titus 2.13 is an example. Um, it says, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's King James. Okay, The appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there is a thing called the Granville Sharp Rule. In, um, in 1798, these two guys, I guess, they wrote this paper and they studied these things. And over time, um, uh, Greek scholars have looked at this and they all agree the Granville Sharp Rule is true. And what the Granville Sharp Rule basically governs this idea. So what this says is um, our great God and Father. So literally it is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So does that mean are the two people it's talking about or is it one is is jesus being our great god and savior or is it our great god and our savior jesus christ because that's what the king james says now if you're king james onlyist that means god inspired that and so you interpret the king james so 
that's not what we're doing here. We're like the original language in Greek. What it says is um, our great our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the Granville Sharp Rule says you would interpret that um, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's our God and Savior. Okay. Um, same thing in Second Peter 1, um, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you read the King James, they add righteousness of our God and our Savior. But according to the Granville Sharp Rule, and this is a grammatical thing, see? So you do read the Bible grammatically. You follow these rules and all the, you know, like a verb is a verb and a noun is a noun and things like this. So so that's important that you actually understand grammar. So um, Hebrew was written following um, Hebrew grammar. Greek was written following Greek grammar. So if you start to study more in-depthly, if you want to find out you know, a little more about the background of the Bible, the, the language, the thoughts behind your English translations, um, then you need to understand a little bit about, or somebody need to understand some grammar to be able to translate these things into English. So when you hear, and all I want you to be able to do is if you're reading something and you, or hear somebody talk about the historic the grammatico historical method of interpretation all they're talking about is what did the words mean then and what was the grammatical structures then so what did what were they trying to communicate with those words to their hearers then it's called the original reading audience and the last thing is um c so we're doing tgc the gospel coalition um the cultural context. Um, you'll see sometimes somebody say he tore his clothes. Oh, why he tore his clothes? Is it um, was that a metaphor? You know, what does it mean? And so we know back then when somebody would tear their clothes, that's what they would do to express grief, great grief. Um, they would tear their clothes. They didn't do it because they were happy. They didn't do it in celebration. It was always about a terrible grief. Um, the prodigal son is a good example, um, Luke 15. So they were asking some people who lived, um, it was not back then, but people who lived in the same culture now that had the same sort of cultural mores, the same ways of looking at things as they would have back then. And so what they were asking these guys that lived in this area uh, in, the, in the Middle East, they were saying, you know, so when you hear the story of the prodigal son and he, you know, wants his father's inheritance and he wants it now and he takes it and he goes off and he lives and spends it all. Um, how does that come across? And they're like, oh, it's terrible. And they're all like, how awful it is because they're saying he wanted his father dead because that's how you get your father's inheritance. You wanted your father dead. Now, that was what when Jesus is telling the story. So when you hear that, it's like, what would today? What does that mean? Well, he wants his money, but this guy knew he wasn't going to get it. That's the way it worked until your father was dead. So he wanted his father dead. You know, he just he would rather have the father's stuff than to have the father. And then we see the problem. The, the elder brother is the same thing. He's not excited at all about the the younger brother coming back or his father being excited about his younger brother being back. Um, he's just upset that the son has squandered all his money and now his dad's throwing a big party and using more of his inheritance for this guy. So he cares more about his, the father's stuff than the father, too. And the the son just wanted it, and he's gone. But he's back now. There's rejoicing. But still got the elder brother. He's still there. But he thinks he can get the father's stuff just by obedience. Doesn't love the father. Wants his stuff, but he's going to be a good boy and stick with it. Um, and Jesus is telling that parable to those people in that context and telling them in that culture, that's what you're doing. 
you, you're mad at them because they're back, but they're back. But you just don't even, if you loved me, you'd love what I love. And I love to see these people coming back. I love to see um, the return of my children. And so that just gives you a little bit of the cultural um, understanding of what, how something was received back then. So those things are important to know. Um, it, doing this avoids overly spiritualizing words on the page. Um, God had it recorded in words, and um, so we're meant to understand those words on the page. So when you're looking at grammatico historical interpretation, that's all we're talking about, is using grammar as it was used back then. So remember TGC, language changes over time. How was it used back then? Um, grammar, we got to make sure we're using grammatical rules to properly interpret things. And then the cultural context, what was going on back then? That's why you study some history and stuff. So that's the neat thing about knowing the background. Why was it written? Where was it written? Who wrote it? And when was it written? Okay. Um, that's all I got. God bless.